Maybe your Bibles, if you want to join me in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, as we continue our study verse by verse through 1 Peter together, we're in the end of chapter 1, where we left off last week. If you do need a Bible, the men in the aisles have a couple copies, so please feel free to slip your hand up, they'll get you a copy of the scriptures so you can follow along with us this morning. And we're going to finish up the first chapter this morning, picking up there in the 23rd verse, right where we left off and kind of focusing in on this section of scripture that really gives to us uh, instruction regarding the importance uh, of the scripture and the word of God in our lives. And as we do, would you stand together with me out of respect for God's word as I read our passage for this morning? First Peter 1, beginning in verse 23. Peter says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. And Father, we humble ourselves before you this morning and just ask for your assistance, for your help to be able to be alert and attentive, to hear what your voice would want to say to each one of us personally in this gathering this morning. That you would give us an ear to hear what your spirit would want to say to this part of your church that's assembled in this place. And as we come to the word of God, Lord, what you spoke it for originally, we pray that we might hear that, Lord, clearly this morning, but yet in a personal way in this present hour to instruct us, to encourage us, to confirm things in our lives Lord, bless your word. We ask your spirit's anointing upon it and that it speak personally and powerfully to each one of us. We pray these things believing that's what you want to and will do in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, even as things like oxygen and water are essential to physical life, in the same way, the word of God, the Bible, the holy scriptures are essential to spiritual life. And as you can see from our reading this morning, as I said, what we find in this next section of Peter's letter is Peter now emphasizing the importance of the word of God for spiritual life. And we'll take note how Peter declares to us very clearly how the word of God is essential, absolutely critical and essential to actually start or even bring about spiritual life. In other words, he's going to show us That the word of God is necessary for conception or conceiving spiritual life so that it can even be birthed or brought forth in our lives. We'll see as well how Peter shows us that it's the word of God that contains and contributes everything that is needed to then develop spiritual life. Like seed, everything's encoded within it to bring about spiritual life and its developmental process to bring us into Christ's likeness as the Lord works in our lives even once we're born again and become a child of God and he's maturing us. And also I believe he shows us here how we have this blessed assurance of the perseverance 
of the Word of God. That it is absolutely unlike many things on this earth. It is permanent. It is lasting. It has an enduring quality unlike the things of this earth that fade away and die off over time. If you draw your attention with me back to the 23rd verse, notice again, Peter here, he's again sort of in midstream in his conversation. He says in verse 23, regarding the Christians he's writing to, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, the idea is, he then says, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So notice as we start the 23rd verse, Peter again reminds the believers of the origin of their spiritual life. That is, how it began, how it came about, and he does so referring to the salvation experience in the same way he did back in chapter 1 at the beginning part of the chapter we saw earlier. Chapter 1, the first 12 or so verses, remember Peter spent a great deal of time talking about this incredible plan of salvation that God has for each and every one of us. How God the Father, how God the Son, Jesus Christ, how the Holy Spirit, they're all involved and they all work together to bring us to this incredible salvation experience so that our sins can be forgiven, so that we can have the absolute assurance of eternal life after we die, that we will be with God forever. And he described it from many different angles to try and just glorify this incredible plan of salvation. But in the third verse, remember particularly chapter 1 verse 3, we saw there that the salvation experience was referred to there as being born again to a living hope. And once again, we find Peter using that exact same terminology now, 20 verses later in the 23rd verse, referring to the salvation experience of the child of God, and again describing it in verse 23 as notice a spiritual birth. He says in verse 23 there regarding us who are saved and know Jesus Christ, having been born again. And that term born again seems to be a favorite term of Peter specifically in his writings and in his communication in regards to talking about God's plan of salvation. And certainly, no doubt, one of the reasons is because Peter heard Jesus himself use that very terminology as he walked around for those three and a half years and got the privilege to serve and minister together with Jesus. This was the term that we find, first of all, on the lips of Jesus himself, speaking about God's salvation or spiritual conversion that we need to experience in our lives. Again, if I can remind you of the words of Jesus from John chapter 3, Jesus said this, he, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say you must be born again. So Jesus, remember in John chapter 3, talking to that religious leader, Nicodemus, there they were having that conversation and Nicodemus was a very religious man. He did things like go to worship meetings like we are here this morning. More than that, he was a religious leader. So he not only knew scriptures, but he actually taught other people scripture passages. He prayed prayers. He did all types of religious routines and activities. He knew when to sit and stand and when to say this and when to say that and what to do and what not to do. And yet 
he realized something was missing in the core of his soul. There was a sense of emptiness. There was a vacancy. And Jesus, seeing into his heart, he said, Nicodemus, you don't understand. The thing you are missing is you have all types of spiritual trappings, spiritual activities. You can go through spiritual routines, but you don't have a relationship with a living God in your life. And he said, Nicodemus, what needs to happen is you need to be born again. Remember Nicodemus, when he heard that, he said, be born again. How can a man enter back into his mother's womb a second time? He was thinking naturally. He understood how birth took place. You only get into this world one way. You come through the narrow birth canal of a mother's womb. You're not dropped off by a stork. There's only one way to get into this life and experience physical life. You must have a birth process. You have to be born physically to experience the physical, natural realm. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Nicodemus, don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. You can't see the kingdom of God. You can't experience and see and understand the spiritual realm until you've had a spiritual birth just like you had a physical birth that enabled you to experience and see and understand the physical realm that you experience physically. And Jesus was using this to speak about something that is essential in every person's life. In fact, Jesus himself used the words, you must be born again. That this must transpire in the soul of every human being in order for them to experience a spiritual life. We have no spiritual life to start with. We are spiritually dead and until we are born again, after we've been born once physically, there has to become a second birth in our life, a spiritual birth. That's what Peter's talking about here, just as Jesus did when he says, having been born again, that even as we had our first birth, there must come a secondary birth, a spiritual birth at some point in our life. Physical birth gives physical life spiritual birth gives spiritual life and this is an essential thing for each and every one of us and that's why jesus said this must happen and my question to you simply this morning before we move on is have you been born again not do you go to church not do you read the bible and know lots of bible verses not do you sing spiritual songs all these things are wonderful not do you pray prayers and try and talk to god but have you been born again and it doesn't matter if you're 12 and you're sitting in here because you're in the sanctuary and your parents bring you to church so you come because you have no other option, just like you go to a grocery store or you got to go to the family. Have you been born again? Have you ever personally knowing you're a sinner as Jesus Christ to save you and to enter into your life and been born again? Or whether you're here and you're 22 or 52 or 72, have you been born again? Because Jesus says you must be born again. In the same way you had to be born to experience physical life, you do not have spiritual life and you cannot go to heaven and you cannot have a relationship with God truly until you've been born again. Until you understand those things for yourself and you take action upon the opportunity to accept Jesus as Savior, then at that moment you're born again. You have a spiritual birth experience. Spiritual life happens and then you see I love that Jesus said no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Not just you'll get to see it when you die because you get to go in if you're a child of God. But I found that when I accepted Jesus Christ 
in my life, the moment I had spiritual conversion, that's what happened. All of a sudden, the lights went on. And I saw it. Oh, now I see. Now I see what people who say they're Christians are talking about. I see it now. I, it, it makes sense to me. It's like the veil came off and all of a sudden I see it now. That's why these people are excited about Jesus. This is what they mean about a relationship with God. This is why they like to read the Bible and they love the Lord. and they want, They're not just religious. I see it now. I see it and the veil comes off. And Jesus said we must be born again. Peter, using this term to refer to salvation brings it back up again but now notice he's bringing up the topic of spiritual birth for a reason because he wants to show us how spiritual birth is conceived or how it actually takes place and even as there's a physical birth process and a way to be born physically there's a spiritual birth process but peter's saying in verse 23 the process and the way in which these two births happen physical birth and spiritual birth they're completely different they're completely different. In verse 23, he shows us here that physical life and spiritual life are conceived and brought forth by different means altogether. In verse 23, he alludes to the fact that physical life is conceived and brought about by the seed of the man. And see, we understand this biologically from our science classes. It is the seed of man that contains the necessary uh, you know what is there to fertilize and to conceive and bring forth physical life when the seed of man is deposited or planted in the womb of a woman then physical life biologically is conceived and comes to pass at that moment and in that seed in a sense biologically is encoded everything the dna and so forth that's necessary to result in a child being conceived and then developing and progressing in physical natural life throughout the remainder of its life. Yet this seed, Peter points out in verse 23, if you notice in the text, that that seed which gives natural life, he says, is corruptible seed. The idea is it eventually, though it gives life initially, eventually it gradually deteriorates and dies off. That's what corruption or corruptible means. It's something that eventually decays and dies over time. And physical seed that gives physical life eventually is just corruptible seed because of the fact that the Bible tells us that through man death entered the world and thus death has spread to all men. So though a, a man can give physical life parents can give physical life it's just temporary life and everybody dies it's corruptible seed now in contrast to that spiritual life that comes through spiritual birth is conceived and birthed in a different way and that different way peter refers to in verse 23 he says having been born again not of corruptible seed like physical life but of incorruptible that is incorruptible seed which he says is the word of God that lives and abides forever. See, in a sense, just like it takes two parents, a man biologically and a woman biologically, to conceive and bring forth a child in physical life, you could say that there are two parents necessary to conceive and bring about spiritual life. In a sense, you have the word of God and you have the spirit of God. And these two are directly connected to one another. In fact, so closely, we know that the Bible tells us clearly that the Word of God is actually authored by the Spirit of God. 
2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scriptures given by inspiration of God. That is the, the word of God, the scriptures have been breathed out with the very life of God contained within them. Peter's going to say in his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 1, prophecy of scripture never came by the will of man, but holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit. See, that is why the word of God is incorruptible seed, the exact opposite. It does not have the state or quality whereby it can die off or decay, just like God himself who is eternal and everlasting, the very God who breathed out the scripture, the very God breathed into the life of the scripture, his eternal quality and his eternal nature. And therefore it is incorruptible seed because it is from God and it has a supernatural property to it. Now, in the scriptures, you take note as you read through the Bible that the word of God is likened or symbolized by many different things. For example, James talks about the word of God and he likens it metaphorically to a mirror. And the word of God's a lot like a mirror, isn't it? Have you ever read the word of God and it's like you're getting a reflection back of, oh man, that's exactly what I'm like. That's, that's like a reflection of exactly the way I'm behaving right now or, or exactly what I'm struggling with. And, and the word of God, it reflects the truth to us, just like a mirror reflects the truth. You woke up this morning and you're, faced with the reality of that's actually what you really look like before you paint it all up you know and, and fix it up and groom it that's the truth that's what you really look like that's the real you right there in the mirror the word of god's like a mirror the bible calls the word of god things like water or a lamp it's a lamp under my feet and a light under my path jeremiah calls it a hammer and man at times the word of god's like a hammer it can break right through rock it can break through the hardest hearts and it has a power to do that. The word of God, the Bible is pictured as well in things like gold and silver or meat or bread. Jesus said man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And again, the word of God, it is, it's nourishment. It is like spiritual food to nourish the spiritual life. And if you don't feed upon the word of God regularly, you will become malnourished. You'll become anemic spiritually and weak spiritually. A lot of times when I find people are struggling and wrestling spiritually, one of the first questions I ask, look, are you reading your Bible? Are you in church regularly? Are you hearing the word of God? Because just like a person can become weak and anemic and malnourished if they don't eat and affects them physically, this is the food for our soul. It's what nourishes us. Peter's going to say in chapter 2, verse 2, that, that this is the pure milk of the word where we grow thereby. We can't grow without it. We have to be nourished by it. Well, here Peter is likening the word of God now in our verse this morning to seed. And whether you're talking about the seed of a plant that grows or whether you're talking about seed of an animal, as we were referring to either, with a man or an animal or so forth, a seed is basically that which contains the necessary components to produce and develop life. That's what seed is. And I think Peter, as he likens the word of God to seed, was probably remembering maybe the words of Jesus. He spent a lot of time with him. We know from the parable of the soils, we see in Matthew 13 and Mark 4 and Luke 8, Jesus tells that parable. Remember he said, a sower went out to sow seed. 
and some of it fell by the wayside on the path and, and it was trampled down and the birds just came and, and picked it up and ate it up right away and some fell among thorny soil and some fell in rocky soil where it went down it sprouted up but then the sun scorched it and some fell in really good soil and it produced 30 60 and 100 fold and then Jesus said in Luke chapter 8 version anyway he said the seed is the word of God so the seeds, the word of God, the different conditions of soil that had different, uh, if you could say, you know, different responses to the seed that was planted in them, the different soils are like the conditions of the heart. And that's true. The condition of the human heart determines many times the effect of the seed of God's word that's planted in it. If somebody's heart is hard, when they hear the word of God, if their heart's hard, they're just like, oh, would you just please shut up? Get this over with. Help misery. And their heart is hard. And guess what? It just, it just falls off. It just falls off. It's, just a, it's a hard heart. The heart's not open. It's like hard ground. You throw seed on concrete. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. If a person's heart is full of thorns and, and things that can choke out plant life, sometimes the word of God goes into our hearts and then the cares and the love of riches and the things of this world, it chokes out the fruitfulness of God's word in my life. If I let other things crowd into my heart, it can choke spiritual fruitfulness out of my life. If our heart's good fertile soil, hey, good fruit can really come out and the word of God can really develop and bring good spiritual fruit in our life. Peter probably remembered this as Jesus talked about it. Interesting to me that in Mark chapter 4, Jesus also told a parable about the seed of God's word and the power contained within the seed. Listen to Jesus' words from Mark 4. Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, yet he himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain in the head. So again, Jesus, using a picture in his teaching, talking about the word of God like seed, and he says it's like a, a farmer. He goes out and he sows seed on his field, and he just goes home and he sleeps at night, and he gets up every morning day by day, and he doesn't even know how, but eventually that seed germinates, and it begins to sprout, and it begins to grow and produce shocks of grain. And he says, but the person who sows the seed, quite honestly, he really doesn't understand how it happens. All he does is just sow it into the ground, and he doesn't understand how it produces and, and creates fruit and growth from it. And what Jesus is picturing there is the power is in the seed itself. Again, thinking naturally. The farmer simply sows the seed into the ground. He doesn't fully understand how it works or how it creates life. He just sees and observes that it does. But the farmer himself understands that he has nothing to do with the growth and the fruitfulness of the seed because of how he sowed it. If you understand what I'm saying. It wasn't the process of how he sowed it. It wasn't his technique. It didn't matter if the farmer just walked through the field and he just kind of went like this because his dad was making him sow seeds out in the field and he had a bad attitude. It didn't matter. It didn't matter if he went and threw the seed that way. It didn't matter if he threw some seed that way and some this way behind his back. It wasn't the technique of how he sowed the seed. He could throw the seed with any technique possible it was the seed itself that had the power. The power is in the seed. It's not in the process or in a sense the delivery of the seed. Do you understand what I'm saying? In the same way, 
Unfortunately, I think sometimes people deceptively get this understanding that it's the presentation of how you sow the seed of God's word that makes the impact and the power. Now listen, by all means, I'm not saying I think that when we teach the word of God or present the word of God, we should be boring. Okay, I think we should communicate effectively. I think we should let truth come through personality the way God's created us and we should seek to connect with people. I think a boring message from the word of God is probably just as much a sin or a crime as anything else. This is the word of God. We should be passionate about it when we're presenting it. But by the same token, there are schools and classes that teach people, listen, you have to enunciate a certain way when you teach the Word of God. You have to change the way you talk, you know, and, 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 and in Jesus' name. And, and somehow that does something. Now, imagine pulling up to McDonald's. Oh, can I have a Big Mac and a large Coke? We don't talk like that. Was it different if you talk that way? That, you know, or, or you have to rhyme. You know, everything's R's and R's, and you got to so you got to get really poetic and get a rhyme going, almost as if you have a beat going, so you can really work up the crowd. Again, listen, the seed is what has the power. It the power is in the seed. It doesn't matter how, at the end of the day, you sow the seed. You know, there are those who, in in the, the early days of the church, read revivals who, who who would put their head down and read a message from the Word of God. And people's hearts would be broken and ripped open because the power of the word of God was an effective people. And it wasn't the presentation. Again, I'm not diminishing being effective and efficient and rightly dividing the word truth in a good, fruitful way. I, I think we should do our best to be good communicators if we have the privilege to teach the word of God. But we have to remember the power is in the seed. It's in the seed itself. It's the word of God that has the potency. And Peter saw that when Jesus spoke to people. And I think as Peter preached himself, God's word to others, he saw this reality that the word of God is like incorruptible seed that contains spiritual DNA. And just like the seed of God's word, uh, you know, it's just like the seed of man. It contains and encoded within it is everything necessary to produce spiritual life. Just like physical seed has the DNA and everything is in it to conceive life and to develop a life, in the same way spiritual seed has the capacity, the Word of God, everything is in the Word of God that's necessary to conceive spiritual life, to bring about spiritual birth, and to bring about the development of the spiritual life. It's all there, the spiritual genetics, if you would, of the life of God and what's spiritual and eternal are all encoded in the Word of God. That's why it's so valuable, Peter's saying. That's why it is so essential because it has the ability to produce powerful effects and change and transformation in people's lives. Just like seed, the Word of God has to be planted in people's hearts. It needs to be sown into people's lives so it can bring forth spiritual life. And whether it's heard audibly or whether it's read visually, it has to be sown into hearts because unless you sow a seed, it doesn't do anything. You have to sow the seed. And for you and I, that's why it's important that we sow the seed of God's word because once it's sown into human hearts and then it is mingled with faith to act upon it and believe what it says is truth and watered by the Holy Spirit of God, it is at that point that spiritual and eternal life is born and produced. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 
13, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. He says, For this reason we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, listen to what he says, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively works in you who believe. Do you hear what Paul said there? Because there's an important connection. He says, when you heard the word of God from us, you received it in a wise way. He said, you received it in truth as it is, not the word of men, but you received it as the word of God. And he says, which now effectively works in you who believe. See, when you believe upon the word of God, the effectiveness of the word of God is magnified tenfold. It's magnified tenfold. In a sense, when our faith is put into the truth of God's word, it then has an effective power. And that's why it's important for us as Christians to sow the seed of God's word into people's lives. Listen, don't be worried how good of a job or bad of a job you do. Just spread and sow the incorruptible seed of God's word into the lives of people around you when the opportunity presents itself. And remember, listen, not all seeds produce immediately. Is it not true? You can plant a seed and sometimes it may be weeks, months. Some seeds, you know, they can sit there dormant for years. And then at the right moment, the right time, the timing is often different, different seeds and different scenarios. But when the right moment comes, it's amazing. You know, water and light and, and germination happens. And eventually, though it may sit buried for weeks or months or years, eventually it produces and it blossoms forth. And the same way with the seed of God's word. By faith, plant it in people's lives. And even if it seems to lie dormant, and that can be discouraging. We think, oh, I failed. My presentation was, oh, you don't know that. Oh, if I would have said it better, I would have. You don't know that. You just, our job is to sow the seed. Our job is to sow the seed to realize that our presentation, quite honestly, I think, has a lot less of an effect than what we really often think it does. And if you ever teach the word of God, you got to remind yourself that it has very little to do with us. Again, I think we should do our best, do everything we do to the glory of God. However, just sow the seed and remember it's what, Peter said, incorruptible seed. It's not going to go void. It's not going to go empty. Eventually, it will never decay or fail. It will last and eventually blossom Excuse me, God himself, knowing the power of his seed in the word of God, said this in Isaiah 55, 11. He said, my word shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. I like that. God says it'll never return void. It may seem like it's lying dormant, but God said it will eventually accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. Now, here's something I've learned in my life over the years. Sometimes the purpose which I send out God's word in someone's life may be different ultimately with the purpose of God's intention was in the seed going forth. There have been times when I've spoken the word of God and thought I was speaking to one person and it blossoms in somebody else's life who's overheard and God said, well, yeah, thanks for sowing the seed, but I wasn't planting it there. I actually was planting it over there. I'm just glad you opened your mouth at the right moment. God will ultimately produce the purpose that he intends. The encouraging thing is, look, it will eventually germinate 
it will eventually blossom. I may have told this story before, but I'll never tire of sharing it because it validates this truth in my life. I had the privilege of leading my grandfather to the Lord uh, about a year or so before he died. And the way I had the opportunity to do that, I was having a conversation with him uh, and uh, talking to him about the encouragement of the fact that he could see my grandmother again in, in, in heaven if he you know, believed upon Jesus Christ. And I was trying to share the gospel with him in a conversation. And in that moment, he said to me, he said, you know, he said, when I was a little kid, he said, I'm mean, seven, eight years old. Now, at this point, uh, you know, I forget exactly how my grandfather was, probably somewhere in the age of around 70. Forgive me, I don't remember the exact age, but he says, when I was about seven or eight years old. So now we're going back 60 years. He said, somebody invited me to this Bible school thing. And I remember they taught us this phrase, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And he said, is that what you're trying to talk to me about? And from that verse that was sitting in his heart like a seed for 60 plus years, I then could clearly preach the gospel to him and he understood and prayed to receive Christ and he was converted. 60 years, that seed lied there, waiting for the right hour the right moment. Listen, don't tell me children's ministry is not important. Don't tell me teaching the word of God to our kids is not important. I, when I used to put my kids to bed, I would pray for them. I was you know, bedtime guy and put the kids to bed all the time. When I would pray for them and I'd put them in, the, in there, even when they were babies, I was putting them in their cribs. The last thing I always did before I put them in the crib is I would quote one or two Bible verses out loud. Now, did they understand? No, sometimes they were crying through the Bible verse. Like, what, what reaction to the word of God? But I believe it was seed. And all three of my children, at a very early age, I had the privilege to lead them to Christ, and I'm confident they fully understand. And they have a genuine relationship with the Lord. And I believe it was the depositing of the seed, depositing of the seed, depositing of the seed in their life that prepared them for the moment when then I could explain the gospel terms and they could understand. Listen, if you're a parent, sow the seed of God's word into your children's life. Sow it into their lives deposit it there let it be there it will have a powerful effect and the sooner you get Jesus on the inside your life will get way better as a parent as well you get the Holy Spirit on the inside and let the word of God and the spirit of God begin to work in our lives and it's a wonderful wonderful thing and no doubt Paul understood this too probably in Romans 1 when he said I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to anyone who believes again same idea presenting the terms of the gospel, Peter having experienced it, Paul having experienced it, seeing the value in their personal lives, experienced it in the value in the lives of others they ministered to. They saw the power and potency that God's word had to produce changes in people's lives. They witnessed it firsthand and experienced it themselves. So as Christians, let us be more diligent to allow the word of God to be sunk into our memory banks. Why? Because then we're more efficiently able to sow the word of God like seed into people's lives when we're talking and let it just roll off of our tongues in conversation because we've hidden God's word in our heart and we've hidden it into our minds. And listen, you, you can talk into somebody, you don't have to say, well, listen, the Bible says, well, you know, John 17, 6 says, I don't do that. I just, if I want to say God's word, I just say it. You know, it's like incognito there, drop the seed into you and you feel that. There's a grenade in your heart. Go home and wrestle with that and you lay in bed at night and the word of God will be ruminated in your mind. But if it's in us, then we can sow it more regularly. 
Great encouragement this next year. Hey, determine to store up God's word in you so then you can sow it into the lives of others and planning it into lives. Well, in this section, Peter also speaks, notice, of sort of the living quality of God's word. And then by way of its permanence, he also talks about the lasting quality of God's word. Let's talk first about the, the living quality, the life of God's word. Look what Peter says here. He says, the word of God, verse 23, lives and abides forever. It lives. The idea is God's word is alive. It's living. This book if you haven't noticed yet, is not like any other book that exists on this planet. It is not just ink and paper and binding like any other book. It is unlike any history book, textbook, magazine, newspaper. It is radically different because the will of God and the word of God is here inscribed in human language that you and I can understand so that we can hear God speak to us. The very contents of the message of this book are alive it's alive it is god's word it's not words that men said it is god's words breathed into his very book the scripture and that's why it possesses such vitality and such miraculous power hebrews 4:12 declares it this way hebrews 4:12 says for the word of god is living and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's a mouthful, but there's tremendous truth in that. God's word, again, like a sword, there's another picture, two-edged sword. They would put a sword in in that day, and the reason it was sharp on both edges was to make sure that it accomplished the purpose. When you'd pierce your enemy, you would go in and usually side to side, or in and up and down, not to be graphic. But it was intended to be effective. That sword had a, had a sharp edge on both sides. And like a two-edged sword, God's word goes in and does it not, man, it can dissect the human heart. It lays me open. God's word does surgery, just cuts me open and with precision accuracy. God can divide. Tony, that's your thoughts. That's not my thoughts. That's your feelings. That's not factual. You can't go off of what you feel. You need to go by faith. This, I don't, this, and so many times I'll read the word of God and through it, God helps me divide between what's soulish and what's really spiritual. God will say to me as I'm reading his word, listen, I know this is how you feel, but you can't go by how you feel. I know that's what you think very strongly, but what you think is wrong because this is right. This is what's true and God's word does surgery in our hearts. It's living, it's powerful in its message as it speaks into our lives. It has a living quality because the very life of God is breathed out into its very words and content. Jesus in John 6 said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and life. The psalmist declared in Psalm 119 verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me according, listen, to your word. Do you hear that? The psalmist said, God, revive me according to your word. In other words, the psalmist understood that God's word has the power to infuse life into someone. Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. There is power, there is the life of God infused into the word of God, and there's life-giving potential in the word of God, and that's why it produces, hear me, spiritual change in people that's why it produces powerful inner transformation people's attitudes are changed 
Their thinking has changed. Their perspective has changed. Their life is transformed through the Word of God in a way it's not transformed through reading other things, reading self-help books, but you read the Word of God and it can transform your life. I've experienced it personally. Nobody convinced me differently. I've watched people read the Word of God. I've watched people get serious about studying the Word of God and seen people's lives transform. And I can't contribute it to anything else other than the power of God's Spirit is working through the power of God's Word and their life's being transformed. It has life, the life of God in it, and it affects and changes and transforms people's lives. Hey, do you want your life transformed? Sow the seed of God's Word into your life and watch. Get serious about reading your Bible. Oh, I don't, I don't see anything. I'm not sure. Just, just keep reading your Bible. Keep reading your Bible and believing it by faith and watch the wonderful, powerful impacts of the Word of God in your life. How it is living and powerful and how it can discern your thoughts and attitudes and it becomes an internal judge to help your behavior and perspective and attitudes begin to transform as God instructs you through it. It's also living in its communication. which So it's not just the quality of it it's living, but its communication is, is very alive as well because here's a book hundreds of years ago that God breathed out by his spirit, spoke through those who he used to record it like his ink pens as he was using them to write down his will and word. And here's something that's hundreds and hundreds of years old and I can read it today and it speaks directly into my life right now in 2013 because it's alive, because it's a living book. And it has this way whereby when we read it, personally or we hear it audibly that we can sense the very voice of God is speaking directly into our lives and if you have ever read the word of God anyone here you you understand do you not you know this experience personally in your life where you can go to the word of God and it is as relevant as when it was first written and it's truly alive and it reaches and impacts your life and it speaks into your life personally right where you're at right now in what's going on in your life. Is it not true? As you read the word of God, you read it and it's so alive, all of a sudden there it is, God gives you a promise right on the page and it's the exact promise that you need pertaining to what's going on in your life and you know that is, that's God giving you that promise and you can hear the voice of God speaking to you as clear as if he were right there talking right into your ear. Or you read the word of God and he speaks a word of correction into your heart and you know he's clearly correcting and you can tell he's correcting you regarding your attitude or something that's going on in your life or, or he gives you counsel or instruction regarding how to handle a situation or wisdom that you need or sometimes God speaks to us in his word and we open the word and we begin to read it and it confirms exactly the answer we're looking for. Lord, I don't know what to do and what's the right thing and you read it and there's that confirmation. There's the answer right there and you go, wow. Wow, because it's alive and it speaks to us presently because the life of the eternal God is the one who breathed it out and spoke it into our lives. Well, look as well as Peter mentions as well the, the eternal lasting quality of the word. In verse 23, he says it abides forever. And then in 24 and 25, he emphasizes it's eternal lasting permanence he says because all flesh is as grass the glory of man is the flower of the grass and the grass withers and flowers fall away but the word of the lord endures forever 
Again, Peter here is speaking of the permanent quality of God's word. How unlike earthly temporal things, it abides forever. That means it remains and continues eternally. He says in verse 25, he says the word of the Lord endures, he reemphasizes forever. That means it perseveres through anything. And isn't it interesting? He compares sort of the permanence of God's word to the very passing quality to the life of human beings. See, that's what he's doing there as he quotes Isaiah 40 in verse 24 when he says, All flesh is like grass. The glory of man, the greatest accomplishments that we do on this earth, they're like the flowers of the grass and the grass withers and the flowers fall away. He's saying men are described how? They're fading, they're temporal. Our greatest accomplishments on this earth, he says, they're here today, they're gone tomorrow. Just like the grass, it grows up and it's so temporary, it's, just, it's gone right away. And he says, that's what human life is like. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. All the great glory and achievements of man and all these things that we get, he says, sadly, so much effort, energy, time is invested in that and it's like the grass and the flowers of the field here today and it's gone tomorrow. And then in contrast or comparison, he says, but the word of the Lord, that endures forever. That has permanent, lasting quality. It will persevere forever, even as the God who created it is eternal. It has an eternal quality because it's his eternal word. The psalmist said this, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. See, God's word is eternal. It will endure forever. Jesus said it will never pass away. The psalmist says it's settled forever in heaven. Now, I bring that to your attention for this reason, because there will always be as there has always been historically. Go back and study ancient history. Those who try and discount the word of God, contradict the word of God, question the word of God, invalidate the word of God, Doubt the word of God. Destroy the word of God. Listen, you can destroy every copy of scripture on the planet. It doesn't matter because it says God's word is settled in heaven. There's a copy nobody can touch. Do you understand? It's God's word. You can destroy every, you can destroy every printed page on the planet. You can't destroy God's word. It is like an anvil. You could, people whacked it with hammer for years. And it's worn out lots of hammers throughout humanity. It's eternal. It's lasting. Now, because it's so eternal and lasting, should that not be something that encourages us to say, you know what? Then this really must be the most reliable thing in my life. Not the opinions of my friends. Not the approval of others. Not my own thoughts and ideas. Not what this counts. This is the most reliable thing in my life because this is the only thing that will endure forever because it's God's word and it has the eternal quality of God's very life within it. And it should be the thing I put the greatest investment into because the only two things, hear me, that are eternal besides God himself is his word and the souls of human beings. Now that challenges me as I end a year and I begin a new year to remember, okay, then where should my greatest investment be? There are only two eternal things on this planet. The souls of human beings that will either end up eternally in hell or eternally with God in heaven and the word of God, which is eternal. The greatest impact I can have, you can have on anybody's life is to invest the word of God. 
into their life because of its eternal quality. Peter concludes verse 25 by saying, now this is that word by which the gospel was preached to you. He's saying the preaching of God's word was how they heard the gospel of their salvation and experienced God's salvation. James 1.18 says, of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of truth. Now, two things let me say in regards to that. First of all, notice the content of both Peter's preaching and the preaching of all the early disciples. Notice the content of their preaching was what? The word of God. That was the content of their preaching. You know, God help us to examine ourselves in the modern church today. What is the content of preaching today? It should be the word of God. Not cute stories, not funny illustrations, not politics from the pulpit, not self-help methods and ideas, not seven-step programs. It should be the word of God. Because that's what will bring change in people's lives if it's just sown into their lives. Because the Holy Spirit will water and use that. The content of our preaching should be the word of God. And notice that Peter also, in our text, supports what he believes and says. How? He supports it with a quotation from the word of God. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 40 there. And I think this is incredible wisdom. This is a pattern in Peter's book. You'll notice as we go through Peter together, every single chapter Peter does this. Every chapter, Peter quotes something from somewhere else in the Bible. Important lesson. Peter saying, what I believe, I support that by what the Word of God says. Peter says, what I'm going to present and say, if the Word of God doesn't say it, then I shouldn't say it. He uses the Word of God, a scriptural reference, to, to fill his teaching and to support the teaching and truths that he believes and that he communicates to others. Great, great important lesson for us. That what we believe, what we say, what we share, we should incorporate the word of God into it. Listen, because of the power of God's word, the life it gives, the effect it has, the enduring quality that it's incorruptible. See, that is why I can tell you personally as a man, I put priority of the word of God in my life. That's why I prioritize the word of God in my life. Why I encourage you, prioritize the word of God in your life. As you begin a new year, prioritize the word of God in your life. Watch what happens. See, see what takes place. Put a, let's put a greater priority on God's word. That's why as a husband, as a father, why I determined to use the word of God as the basis to direct my family life, to guide my family affairs, to govern over how our home operates. I use the word of God. If I have to make a decision in my house, there are many times you can ask my children, ask my, I don't say, well, we're going to do this because we're going to do this. There are times when I say, look, the reason why is not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I'm a killjoy. It's not because I don't like it. Here's why. Let's open the word of God. This is why dad's making this decision. Years ago, you know, the girls are starting to get to that age. You want to talk about modesty and discretion. And you're, well, you, you, you. Listen, do you see this proverb? It says, as a gold ring in the snout of a swine, so is a lovely woman that lacks discretion. Let's talk about that. And you use the word of God and you allow them to, un oh, this, you know, lacking discretion, modesty. What's a gold ring like in a pig's snout? Well, use the word of God. Why can't we do, why can't, well, listen, because the word of God says that all things are lawful. Yes, I understand this is kind of one of those great, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. 
and I won't be brought under the power of anything. So this might not be the most helpful thing in your life. Or I don't want this to begin to take control over your life and dominate your life. See, use the word of God. That's why we incorporate and put such an emphasis on the word of God in our ministry, in our teaching, in our counseling, in what we do. That's why I read the word of God. Listen, that's why I read the word of God at the start of our church service. It's not just because it's cute and it flows with the songs Tommy picked. No, I read a scripture before I pray the opening prayer because I feel like God's word, like a hammer, if I drop it down at the beginning, if somebody's here and they got a hard heart, maybe I might pop open a heart and they'll actually be able to worship the Lord. You know what it's like. You drag your carcass in here. You're fighting on the way, screaming at the kids. You're all a mess. And then you try and come in here and worship the Lord. Listen, I try and sow the word of God out before we do anything. I do it purposely. Because I feel like there's the word of God. And put it out there. Set the tone. The devil ran away when Jesus quoted the word of God. Did he not? (laughs) That was how Jesus defeated him. I believe there's spiritual opposition. Listen, I could talk about this forever. Let's stand. Let's pray together.